I want you on my team. So does everybody else. Kiyoki, and welcome to our adventure. We will be talking about our essay process and all that type of jizz. I agree with the author that a lot of times teachers see students not turning turning in work as laziness when it could be personal problems going on or mental illnesses or there's an infinite number of other reasons. However, I do feel like sometimes I feel like sometimes there is laziness because it'll be that they just don't want to do it because they'd rather be doing something else that's not having to work and exercise their brain. So I personally agree with what the author is saying. Price is a psychologist, I believe, and they teach a, a psychology class at their college. and they argue within their article and they also have a book out i looked it up and i figured and i found out that it's also a book they also wrote a book called laziness does not exist but they go on to argue that in reality what people perceive as being lazy is actually just a bunch of unseen barriers so to further elaborate um let me provide an example so when a student fails to turn in an assignment that they had many weeks to work on and they had plenty of time to work on it in order to turn it in and they failed to meet the deadline teachers are often left with the question like why didn't they turn it in like why you had plenty of time why were you were you just being lazy you know that's what they assume and oftentimes both the teacher and the student assume go oh Chloe, cut that out. Let me rephrase that. Okay. To further elaborate, let me provide an example. So, when students fail to turn in an assignment or a big project that they had plenty of time to work on, um, people are often left with the question, like, why? This Oftentimes, when the teacher asks the student, the student will just say, well, I was just lazy, too lazy to do so. And even if the teacher doesn't ask the student directly they can you know conclude in their own minds that well the student's just lazy they're just not a hard worker and but in reality it's this assumption comes from the fact that people rarely take the time to look at this person's context they rarely take the time to look at a person's context and what they go through on a daily basis and what could be preventing them from doing their work and something that one does not perceive as being a major issue could be a big issue for other people. For example, I suffer a lot from anxiety and I get really anxious when doing my work and doing my projects and stuff. And it leads me to procrastinate because I would rather avoid that feeling than ha actually have to deal with it while writing my essay. So I'll usually be write, write my stuff 
the last minute. And I'm sure Chloe can relate to this. I agree. I can definitely relate to that because having such an overwhelming project, or even if it's just a small project, it can a lot of times feel overwhelming. And it just feels like you can't do it. And almost as if everything in your body and mind is telling you you can't do it. Which is unacceptable because you can. You can do it. It's just your mind doesn't want to give you the ability to do it. Yeah, so let me pull up the technical definition of anxiety here so I can read it to all of you. Um, A mental health disorder characterized by feelings of worry, anxiety, or fear that are strong enough to interfere with one's daily abilities. So for for people that may think that anxiety is not a valid excuse, it's an actual illness. It's a, it's a anxiety disorder. It's a thing, you know, and while not everyone that has feelings of anxiety have anxiety disorder, it is important to recognize that anxiety can be, um, you know, a mental illness. It can be something that prevents you from doing your work because whether for some people, it may not be much of a struggle as it is for others. For example, even though I do struggle with anxiety, I'm still able to do my work and turn it in and finish it on time, at least most of the time, and create quality work. Well, for others, it's a way bigger barrier. They'll suffer, they'll, they'll go through this feeling of anxiety and worry and, and procrastinate or, you know, and other symptoms that arise from anxiety as well. And it'll completely stop them from doing their work. Like, some people cannot get over that barrier, that wall, and sometimes they just need a little push, a little motivator, but it's hard to, it's hard to receive motivation from others when they don't understand the struggles you're going through. It's hard to overcome something when people are not seeing your struggles as being valid. So Price does argue that anxiety, mental, mental illnesses, and stuff like this are oftentimes not considered to be as serious as they truly are. And often Price includes these as an example of unseen barriers. A teacher might see their student in class on a daily basis, but they do not see what goes on behind the scenes. They do not see all the, the panic attacks or the anxiety attacks they get when they're doing their work. They do not see the struggle they go through. These things... These things are not visible. Anything that is internal and mental rather than physical is not are not visible to others. So because they're not visible, people have a hard time understanding them and wrapping their head around this concept that wow, like you know, like your mentality, your the way your mental state really does affect your work and whether or not you get it done. And it's something we need to start recognizing more as a society. And I do believe we're getting better at it, but it, we're not fully there yet. We're definitely not there yet. And there's still a lot of people with that mindset saying that depression and anxiety and things like that are not real when they are. And we need to recognize them and embrace them and motivate each other to push past these boundaries. In, and as educators, it is important for them to recognize these boundaries and help their students go move through them and be patient with them because honestly it is a really rough journey it is a difficult journey 
and but and as educators that is your job it is your job to teach regardless of a of any situation it is your job to make sure that each student understands the content that you're you're giving in that class it's your job to make sure your each student is accommodated to the best of your ability i don't understand why in school we're giving the this grading system of from a you typically from a scale from like a to f and f is failing a is passing of course and I honestly see it much more of a punishing system than a reward system. This system has impacted the way I view myself and my schoolwork great, greatly. For me, for like for me, anything under an A is horrible. It's just like because society has implemented this mindset into me that you that on, that in order to be smart, you have to have these certain grades. You need to prove your worth. You need to prove that you're smart and you need to and your work has to reflect that and your grades above all are what reflects who you are. And it's so frustrating because when you when you're applying for colleges and such, which I am not currently, but usually through the college process, they look at your grades, they look at your GPA, your SAT scores and whatnot. And it's it and it annoys me. It really frustrates me because you cannot tell the character of a person just based solely on what they score on a test or their grades that does not determine their character my persona is not cannot be summed up into a single letter my persona cannot just be summed up into the letter a or b or, or c or whatever grade i earn it cannot how does a letter represent who you are how does a number represent what you are i don't know i can never wrap my head around that and it has been so deeply integrated into me to the point where i always stress out about having a's and you know this this goes back to the unseen barriers like i'm constantly being pressured to earn all a's to get a 4.0 gpa to study hard and earn good grades so that colleges will look at my application and decide whether i'm worthy or not i'm putting blood, sweat, and tears into my work only so that a college can look at it and determine that I'm not worthy or that I am. So all this pressure is being put on to students on a daily basis. And it's like the world does not see that. Like this pressure is being put up onto us and we have to just carry it. And they expect us to not struggle, to not complain, to just get it done, which is completely unacceptable. It just infuriates me. A lot of the times the educational system is not, is not what it should be, in my opinion. Oftentimes it causes a lot more, more pain and damage than it should. And that's why I think it's funny when adults are always saying oh you're just a child you have it so much easier wait until you're an adult and I don't think they realize how much stress we have from school even though they say oh yeah I was a student once too it's a lot of stress but then they go and say well you're just a child it's not that you don't have that much stress yet just wait until you're an adult yeah and we're not invalidating the struggles that adults go no. through I understand completely understand I I only have a part-time job and I'm already stressed with that, but 
we also have our own struggles. And even though one person does not view it as being a, a real problem, it does not mean that it does not affect us. Because our entire future is, is depending on whether or not we pass our classes, on whether or not we graduate, on whether or not we have a good GPA, good test score, so that we can impress colleges. Our future is depending on this. But how can we do well if our teachers and our educational system is not willing to facilitate our success? And so in that matter, I, in that manner, I do completely agree with Price. It is important for educators to search and identify these unseen barriers within students so that they can help lead them to their success. Sometimes an extension is all it takes for a student to do well. It wouldn't hurt to extend the deadline or two. It wouldn't hurt to allow a student to miss class once in a while or to miss a few assignments because you never know what they're going through. And regardless from the outside, things might seem perfect, but you never know what's going on, on the inside. You don't, you, don't under, you don't know what their feelings are, what their mental state is. You can never know unless you're that person. So really what I get from this article is that compassion is the big key here. Having compassion for others and trying to have empathy for their situation. And just being patient is really all it takes. Being patient with all your students, with each other, and learning to grow from it. Learning to grow from all past mistakes and learn from each other and grow and develop this beautiful community of education and success. I also, I also felt that it was really sad when Price mentioned that one of their colleagues had a zero tolerance policy where they had no makeup exams, no extensions. You couldn't be late to class at all. Yeah, and things like that. And oftentimes, students in that class would not do as well as they did in Price's class. And they went on to provide an example of this one student and she would show up to class and she was really distant and didn't really participate whenever whenever she was in Price's class. And sometimes she would be standing outside Price's classroom and she would just not enter. And oftentimes other educators saw that student as being lazy and just a slacker and not a, not a hard work hardworking at all and when Price took the time to really look and consider her situation Price realized what that person was going through so Price always has this unit I believe every year about mental illnesses and stuff like that because it's a psychology course and after being open about subjects like this students felt comfortable in confiding with them within Price so that maybe they could get some ac accommodations to help to help facilitate their success and this student confided in price after that lesson and let them know that they were struggling with i believe an anxiety disorder and they had a full like full-time or part-time job and they attended college full-time and they were constantly switching between meds i believe and it was giving them a lot of struggles 
sometimes it wouldn't allow them to stay still or it would it it gave them a lot of struggle i don't remember all of them but i just know that because of these medications the student was not able to go to class or do as much work as they would like to and price understood that and was welcoming of that they welcomed that student's issues they welcomed everything that they struggle with they welcomed these struggles and helped the student push past these struggles they began allowing them to miss class or they, they gave them extensions and stuff like that and slowly the student came out of their shell and the student was finally able to succeed within Price's class and even though she did well on Price's class she continued to do bad in other courses because nobody else was lenient or willing to see that this person, that this student, this human being, it's a human being that this human being was struggling with things beyond just not coming into class. Please excuse this brief intermission as we change from our studio to a new scenery. Um, we can go back to our regular scheduled program now. Bye! Hello guys! So, I know I was in the middle of saying something back there, but due to some technical difficulties, we had to change sceneries, and now we're in Chloe's car. Yes. She has a little Fiat. It's super cute. It is. It's adorable. It's really adorable. It's ironic, though, because she's, like, really tall. She's, like, 5'9". Five, 5'9 nine. Five, nine and a half. Yeah, and I'm, like, 5 foot, and, like, she her legs are so long, and <laughs> it's really funny. Like, it... it if you were to see me standing next to her, you'd laugh at how ridiculous it is. But this really should be my car, because I'm a small person. She's a big person. We're just chilling in here with the seat warmers on to stay warm, because it is 46 degrees outside. That's really cold for Washington, oh my god. Wow. Wow. Anyways, um, so I believe back there I was in the middle of saying how some teachers don't acknowledge anxiety and mental disorders and things like that as being real struggles and because they don't validate this it just perpetuates this stereotype that if you don't do your work you must be lazy but in actuality it's because educators are not willing to understand their students they're not willing to look deeper into that person's context and try and see why this student is failing to do their work. And I'm, I'll admit though, there's many teachers, educators out there who are doing a much better job about that, especially Chris Tower. We stan you. However, there's still a lot of growth that needs to be done. And maybe in my lifetime I won't see it, but it's slow perpetual change that really makes a difference. Slow and steady really wins the race. And yeah, I just wanted to dive in a little bit deeper into the talk about anxiety and mental struggles because oftentimes they're not portrayed accurately. And I also hate it when people are like, well, you're just being overdramatic. Like, you can't be that sad or you can't be that incapable of doing your work. Or you can't be that worried, like, just get over it and do your work. But 
it's a mental block and it's just as difficult to get over as any physical block and i just want to let all of our audience know that if any of you are struggling with this that we do too and we're here for you and regardless of whether or not others support you in this journey we do and we love you for it and we believe in you and you're strong don't let the world knock you down and if it does you get right back up you got this disclaimer we do not support the overuse of drugs and alcohol or any type of addiction we're just saying that it helps make life for a homeless person a little bit easier to manage so yeah and not only that but as well as the example that price provided within the article about homelessness they they included research done by kimberly longhofer i don't know how to pronounce her last name but kimberly had experienced homelessness and disability themselves and so they knew what it was to experience both things and to be in those situations and price did a really good job as well as kimberly because it is kimberly's research and sources of explaining why we we as people cannot judge them for their actions when we see homeless people oftentimes it is easy to argue that well why don't they just get a job and stop drinking and smoking and start actually trying but what people don't realize is that it's actually hard it's really difficult to get right back on your feet when you're homeless and you have practically nobody or anybody and nothing at all to keep you going it's just yourself and you're constantly fighting starvation illnesses and you're living in really unhealthy and unsafe conditions sleeping under the cold rain and you receive no medical attention so you're constantly fighting and struggling for your life and it's a tough battle and oftentimes these people depend on alcohol or cigarettes to to kind of numb them from this feeling alcohol will warm you in the middle of the night when you're cold cigarettes will take away the hunger that you might feel when when you go days without eating and if you're battle, battling an addiction just giving into your addiction is so much better than having to deal with withdrawal symptoms. Like, imagine having to live outside without a home, having to live in the, on the streets, having to experience hunger, pain, the rain and cold, and battling an addiction. Wouldn't you much rather just drink or smoke that cigarette and not have to deal with those symptoms as well as the other things that you deal with i just think it's when you're in that situation it's very difficult to let go of old habits and people need to be more understanding with that of that and it it, it really ties into the same thing about unseen barriers in education why people need to be more understanding of students we are after all teenagers we're children you know, or at least the majority of us are, from kindergarten all the way till 12th grade, we're children. When they have so many other battles, why have to deal with withdrawal symptoms and feeling 
sick constantly, which would not help them get through their day-to-day. But yeah, it directly ties into education and the way students struggle with because we are simply children from the moment we're put into school at the young age of like four, five, all the way until we're 18. We're just kids trying to do our best and are constantly judged by adults, told what we can or can't wear, told what we can or can't write or do told what is acceptable and what isn't unacceptable and is oftentimes really hard to meet all of those requirements. So when Price argues that laziness is not real, I completely agree. Because even when you think there isn't, there is always some sort of unseen barrier stopping you from doing whatever you need to do. And even when you think you're just being lazy, try take a step back and say, why am I avoiding this? Why am I not doing this? Why would, why would I rather do this than that? Why would I rather watch TV or play video games instead of doing my work? Why is it? And that is why I'm slightly changing my opinion that I said earlier about if it's like, oh, I'd rather watch like TV rather than doing my homework. Why would you rather watch tv then do your homework and if it's just because you don't feel like doing your homework why don't you feel like doing your homework and see you guys growth is important and i somehow convinced chloe throughout my entire spiel that laziness does not exist and it does not mean that either one of us is right or wrong it's just that growth and acceptance of other thoughts and ideas is important And although right now I may feel that laziness does not exist, it does not mean that in the future I will not change my mind. But for now, from what I have experienced and what I've learned, is that laziness is just a social construct. Just like gender is a social construct, or race, or many other aspects of life are just made by society to categorize us and put labels on it on us to make things easier for everyone but does it really make it easier i think that's a question for another day but i don't think it does so when it came to our brainstorming process i decided to do for the actual brainstorming part i decided to do a free write and basically at first i talked about how i agree that teachers perceive students not turning in their work as laziness and I can definitely relate to that because I'm always scared what my teachers are gonna think if I don't have an assignment turned in or like what my reasoning is and I'm always scared that my teachers are gonna see me as lazy when I a lot of times have a lot of stuff going on my day-to-day family-wise and I have mental blocks a lot of times whenever I try to do work and it's really frustrating to try to work through and it just makes me want to do anything except for homework. Like, I will clean the whole house in order to avoid doing homework. And then in my brainstorm, I talked about how opportunity gaps in education are disguised or labeled as achievement gaps because teachers will observe the students who need help in school 
or have to work below their grade level because they're having troubles understanding. Then when there are students who resemble the students who needed help but not in an educational way, like whether it's race, gender, just anything except for how they perform educationally. They assume that those students need help and therefore put them in lower classes and below grade level classes so that they can get the extra help that they quote unquote need based off of their appearances. And then for my outline, I for my format, I basically just did introduction and then I wrote my hook, contextualization, and thesis. And then I did my three body paragraphs which were all just my intro and then my two pieces of evidence along with their reasonings. And then I had my rebuttal paragraph which had intro evidence and reasoning. And basically if you don't know a rebuttal is just saying why the other side of the argument is correct. So in this case it would be about how laziness does exist and how achievement gaps are not opportunity gaps. And then finally my conclusion, which was just going over my thesis again. And then for my pre-write, I wrote just like a little bit about mental blocks, opportunity gap, achievement gap, and the points that I would talk about for my rebuttal. So mental blocks, just how mental illnesses and, and a person's personal situation can affect their work and what work they get done and what work they don't get done. Yeah, and so like how it keeps them from doing their work. For opportunity gap, I talked about like what an opportunity gap is and then I connected it to the achievement gap, which is what achievement gaps are, which are just people not being able to succeed in education as well or any type of achievement as well due to their knowledge. And then I connected how those two are related a lot of times, which they should not be at all should not be. And then for my rebuttal, which was that laziness does indeed exist and it's just a person not wanting to do something, even though that is not what I believe. And I always have troubles writing rebuttals because especially when I feel very strongly about what I'm writing about, I struggle writing re rebuttals because I'm like, how do I support this? I, I have troubles writing about stuff that I do not support. I definitely agree. I feel like that is usually the hardest part for writing persuasive essays for the most the people for the majority of people it is really the hardest part having to argue for the opposition when you feel so strongly about what you're saying yeah and i did find myself struggling with that as well and good thing it's only a first draft so we can keep editing it and working on it and you know obviously perfecting our work and it's important as well to not worry too much about it can I just mention really quickly, I know I'm going to struggle so much figuring out how to write three drafts of my essay because, um, but I normally just, let's say my essay that I'm writing requires a first draft and a final draft. I will just write my essay and then copy and paste it and just put in random spelling errors I didn't actually make or punctuation errors or just type like a random word somewhere and have that edited version be my first draft. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I do when I'm writing an essay. Uh, I edit as I write and then I go back in and I just fix any small mistakes, but I never fully write a whole rough draft. I never really do that unless we were forced to in school. Exactly. In school, they would give us these worksheets or at least like in earlier grades, like freshman year and like middle school, they would give us these outlines and I'd fill them out and I would count as my rough draft and then I would just go right into typing my final draft. And as we progressed in school, we were expected to write our rough draft and all they cared about was tur uh, us turning in our final draft. But so I never really wrote 
a f- rough draft I never I never cared for for it. I usually did pretty well. I mean, Same. let's be honest, like I always do really well <laughs> when it comes to writing. There's never been an essay that I did not get an A on. And I just write it and I edit as I go and then I go back in and read read some spots and fix a few spelling mistakes and I call it good. And if I want to change the content, I will, but I will never really write a rough draft and then go on and rewrite it as a final draft that's never been something I do I'll brainstorm sometimes like sometimes when we're in class and having class discussions I'll jot down some ideas on paper whatever comes to mind or I'll bounce ideas back and forth with my friends like Chloe and I have done this before and then we'll just get right to writing no rough draft nor anything just get right into it and then edit whatever we think needs to be edited and yeah, it doesn't really affect us. However, for a lot of people, it is important to do a rough draft, and that's a completely okay. Like, everyone has different writing processes, but for us, personally, it's just easier that way. It our, The way our mind works work and the way that our writing works is by simply going right into it and writing it and just fixing what any mistakes. Exactly. With the whole, like, discussing our ideas with each other thing, that actually helped me a lot one time because I wrote a whole essay and spent a few days writing it. And then I realized the night before the essay was due at, I think, around 9 o'clock at night, I realized that what I wrote about made no sense at all. And so I chose a whole new poem to write an essay on. I wrote the whole essay in, like, three hours. And I turned it in, and I believe I got 94%. Yeah, you got, like, an A-. minus. Yeah. Yeah, like... So I think that's pretty good yeah, for a three-hour essay. A, it was actually Chloe and I. We were, like, FaceTiming. Yes. <laughs> we were, like, talking to each other about our essays. And I think Chloe nailed that. Like, she wrote an yeah. essay in three hours. Like, completely scratched, scratched everything she had yes. done beforehand. Exactly. Wrote a whole... About a whole new poem and everything. Because we got to choose between a few different poems. And... I picked one, and then I was reading through my essay, and I was like, this makes no sense. I don't understand what the poem is actually about. So I changed which poem I was doing it on, so I had to find new pieces of evidence and everything. It was great. I definitely recommend. Sometimes spontaneity is the key to success. I Maybe be careful when you do it. (laughs) Yes. But (laughs) I think it's great. Sometimes recklessness is amazing and it can lead to amazing things that you would have never done before unless you decided to be spontaneous however that does not mean go do something really stupid and be like oh i was doing to doing it to be spontaneous and get a good idea (laughs) i was trying to be quirky yes (laughs) no honey when you try to be quirky that makes it not quirky don't try no it just happens okay exactly okay and so for my outline i First of all, I started off with Brainstorm, in which I did a free write, and I just wrote whatever came to mind, and I will admit that my free write was a little bit off topic. I ended up saying (laughs) things that had no relation, no correlation to what the prompt was, But but then I also did mention a few things that, from my personal experience, that aligned with what Price was saying, and the whole Opportunity Gap articles. I myself, as a minority, as a Hispanic young adult, I personally did experience the opportunity gap, although I did went to fairly wealthy schools, 
However, because of my ethnicity and culture and the fact that I'm bilingual, teachers felt it necessary to place me into fed special education classes because they felt that my English wasn't as good as their theirs, I guess. And honestly, that kind of hurt my ego because I felt that I spoke English fairly well. In fact, English was my first language. That was the first language I spoke before I even started speaking Spanish. So it's kind of rude. It was rude that people just assumed that I had struggled speaking English. When in reality, I didn't. It was the first language I learned. I didn't start speaking English until maybe when I was three or four. And since then, I have continued to perfect my English and Spanish. And my mom always made a really big deal about speaking and writing both languages as well as I could. Because she knew that the world was going to be hard because of my culture and because people were going to perceive me differently. And people sometimes are, were going to, you know, be racist to me because of where I came from and even though I was not born in Mexico and I was born in the United States because of who my parents were and my ancestry people were going to treat me differently and it was something I had to grow up with knowing and accepting and just having to deal with it so I remember going to school and being put into th this class to help me with my English and I knew Damn well that I did not need those classes. I'm sorry for my language, but I did not need that. I spoke English perfectly. In fact, I struggled more with my Spanish than I did with my English because it was the first language that I learned. And eventually my teachers realized that I didn't need that class, so they took me out of that class. But I noticed that disproportionately a lot of my fellow Hispanic friends were placed into these courses regardless of the fact that if they did or not speak English well like they just put, put them into these classes and assume that they needed help instead of actually assessing their skills and determining whether or not they did because a lot of them in my opinion spoke English really well and to this day they're my friends and they do speak English really well in fact most of us speak English better than Spanish because we never grew up in a Spanish speaking country and although we do speak Spanish with our families is we do not speak Spanish as frequently as we speak English since we live in an English speaking country and so predominantly because everyone speaks here English English is our main form of communication with other people so therefore that language is a lot more perfected than Spanish is and so I do remember being put into these courses unfairly and then eventually teachers realized that I never needed that class and they took me out and they ended up putting me in advanced classes having I would be like in first grade going to second grade classes second grade going into third grade classes going one grade ahead because I was actually a, a, very, a very I was very intellectual I was a really smart young child I my mom always pushed that on to me she was like you know what the world is going to be hard on you but you're going to push past you're going to push through it and you're going to show them that you're capable of many more things than they would ever be capable of you are capable of doing great things you just have to believe in yourself and study hard and don't believe what they tell you because your culture your background where you come from who you are 
does not determine where you will end up. And, you know, it is a really hard lesson, but it's also a very beautiful lesson to learn. And to this day, I believe I am a really good student. I am a, I do really good when it comes to academics. And it is really my strong suit. So, although it might have not been as a very good, pleasant, a really, although it might have not been a pleasant experience, it did teach me a lesson. And so, yeah, that's how I relate to the subject about opportunity gaps. Like, I went to fairly wealthy schools, but because teachers were not qualified to work with a diverse group of students, they were not able to properly assess me and my needs, if that makes sense. And so going into this essay, I already knew I was going to be fairly passionate about it. So I remember do, I, I did my free write, and then I went into my pre-writing. And in my pre-writing, I wrote a bunch of subjects, and, I, and underneath each subject, I wrote sentences about each subject, about homelessness, the example of homelessness that came, Kimberly provided, as well as um, crisis experience with students that have mental, dis mental illnesses and disabilities and trauma and things like that. And as well as um, Price's experience with other colleagues who are not as lenient with their students and all of that. And as well as opportunity gaps and how it affects a lot of minority students and all of, you know, and not just minority students, but it affects students of low income. But unfortunately, a lot of low income students are black or Hispanic or just, um, you know, a uh, people of color and although it is unfortunate there are ways we can help better that and target that and make sure that no student is left out and make sure that no student ever feels like they don't have the same opportunity to succeed as other students and so going into this I realized that it was going to be a passionate subject for me because it is something I've had to experience firsthand and I've seen my family and my friends experience. Because it is really difficult to live in a predominantly white country and oftentimes you feel like the outsider. You feel that you don't fit in and so you, you struggle to f be like the other kids and you struggle to prove that you're not any different. And so, yeah, going into my first paragraph for the introduction, I talked about how, what, what it is to be a lazy kid, what people perceive to be lazy kids. And I talked about how unseen boundaries, once teachers can recognize them, that can lead to a student's success. And in my paragraphs, I incorporated my summary into my paragraphs about the article, and I talked about... First of all, how looking into a student's context will help identify those students' unseen barriers. And then in my second body paragraph, I went on to talk about how once those unseen barriers are identified, how, we can, how it can help students succeed within the course. Because once you know what your problem is, you can work on finding the solution. And then for my third body paragraph, it was my counter-argument. And within that counter-argument, I talked about how... Many people may argue that many things are being done already. Many efforts are being done in order to 
in order to fix this opportunity gap and in order for teachers and students to have a better experience overall within school. And so I went on to disprove that, in fact, although it may be argued that many efforts are being done, in reality, the opportunity gap has not changed at all, really, in the past 50 years. It really has not changed at all. It, it, it's narrowed a little bit, but not to the extent that it should be. And we still have a long way to go in order to close that gap and ensure that all students have the same opportunities but until then we need to I, we need to admit that this problem is real and work on it and although a teacher may argue that they they can only go so far to help a student it is also important to recognize that life happens and students face many barriers and it's just all about patience and sometimes what you think is enough is not enough sometimes you just need to take it up a step further and try harder and and do better and after wrapping that up I went into my conclusion and in my conclusion I just went ahead and rephrased my thesis statement I went on to list the reasons and the evidence that I provided and then I ended with a final statement and that's really the basis for my f first draft. And of course, there's a lot of improvement that need it needs to be done, but I, I'm sure I can handle it. And I can handle Chris's feedback <laughs> once he reads it. But yeah, and that's what I had so far. It might be similar to what other students wrote. It might not be. I don't know. Everyone has their own writing process and that is okay. But it's all about the product, you know? Uh, the pro whatever it takes to get there don't be ashamed of it because in the end if your work is is quality work it'll all be worth it and on that note we've reached the end of our podcast today thank you for joining us for episode four this was the podcast nobody asked for by chloe and kiyoki play the outro song